Preaching about a parable that is so familiar as this one is, is always a challenge. It's so easy to distill the story to its simplest form. If you ask a group of children what the meaning of the story is, they would likely say something on the lines, we need to be kind to each other, and there is nothing wrong with that. When the New Testament writers first wrote, they didn't use the modern conventions such as paragraphs and headers. These have been added in later in translations to help the modern reader. Headings basically tell you what a story is about. So why is this important? In this case, it tells us that this story is about a good Samaritan. Not the man who was beaten up, not as a terribly catchy title, or the really busy priest, or what it means to be a good neighbour or a Levite. By putting the title like this, it firmly tells us that this story is focused on the good Samaritan. Let's play with this idea for a little while. If we were to rename the story, The Man Who Was Beaten Up, which we would be perfectly entitled to do so, as I explained earlier, titles are not part of the biblical text. How would we respond to this story? Here was a man traveling on a perilous road, the journey between Jerusalem and Jericho. My first thoughts are to ask why. Why would you do such a stupid thing? Surely he knew how dangerous this road was. The late great Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of this road as follows. I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem, we rented a car and drove from Jerusalem to Jericho. As soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as a setting for a parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. That's a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the Bloody Pass. So if I was this man's dad, I think I would have torn him off a strip for being so stupid. What on earth did he think he was doing, going to such a dangerous place on a, such a dangerous journey? And if he had, why didn't he take sensible precautions, go in a group or make sure he had security of some kind? In reading this story, I am mindful of the current refugee situation. I've heard so many people say the very same thing about people who risk everything that they have, including their own lives, to travel to this country or others in search of sanctuary and a safe space to be. But what we are missing here is an understanding of why this man was making this perilous journey and indeed why people seek to make perilous journeys to find refuge. What was it that made this so necessary? Jesus doesn't tell us, but the passage suggests that this was something important. He clearly had some resources with him, otherwise there would have been nothing to rob. The rest we can only surmise. Perhaps he was searching for work, for somewhere better to live. Perhaps he was a tradesman who weighed up the risks and benefits of travelling this perilous journey. Whatever it was, he was taking a risk, a huge risk to travel through the bloody pass.
It makes me think about the risks we take, or indeed the risks we don't take. There is a risk in everything we do, so much so that you could say that it would be best to stay in bed, but the bad news is that there are even risks in doing that. What I'm trying to say is that in everything we do, there is a risk. There are risks on every journey we make, real or metaphorical. There are risks in every encounter we make. We cannot avoid risks. The question really is more about how we deal with those risks, how we decide which are acceptable and unacceptable risks. It's clear that the man on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho saw that the benefits outweighed the risk. As we begin our journey of recovery from the pandemic, hopefully, both individually and as a church, it may be good to think and reflect on what risks we are prepared to take. How are we going to walk our own road from Jerusalem to Jericho, but this time be sure that we are able to take people with us safely on that journey? But to really understand this story, we need to go back to the original question that prompted the story. I'll read it again. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as, as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to, to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus cleverly twists the story from a selfish request. What can I do into a challenge to love your neighbor as yourself? Just a quick thought at this moment. Jesus didn't say love your neighbor more than yourself. He said love your neighbor as yourself. We need to love ourselves in order for this to work. Loving ourselves is a prerequisite for loving our neighbor. The two are totally integrated. But the story is not really about ourselves, but about the relationships we have been, have between ourselves and our neighbours. It's about what we do to make our community a better place. Martin Luther King Jr. continued with his description of his own road trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt the man on the ground was merely faking and he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them for their quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? 
I believe that the fundamental element of this story is about how we can change our own attitudes. So often the question is, what's in it for me? And that takes precedence. As we seek to forge a new way, renewed in mission, I believe we need to ask this question. If we do not help this person, this group, what will become of them? What will happen to them? I believe we need to commit to working towards the common good, to ensuring that we are good neighbours to the weakest and the most vulnerable amongst us. In a world in crisis, our definition of neighbour has to extend to all walks of life. We need to be good neighbours when we see people facing discrimination in whatever form that might be. We need to be good neighbours in speaking truth to power when those who govern us threaten the weakest amongst us. We need to stand up as neighbours should when the poorest among us are made to be poorer because of the corrupt governments and companies. But all of this doesn't have to be big things. For if it did, it could become completely overwhelming. We need to be good neighbours to the people who live next door to us and here in our own church. So why should we do all this? Why should we bother? Clearly the expert in the law is concerned about inheriting eternal life. For me, there is what I believe a much higher moral imperative for us to do this. If as Christians we believe that God sacrificed everything in Jesus, all for us, for you and for me, and indeed for everyone else. If we believe that that extended to the least among us, then we have no option but to be Christ's hands and feet in this mission. We are called to be a good neighbour, like the Samaritan. We are called to be good neighbours, even if at times there are risks and costs. So the next time you're faced with a neighbourly decision, ask yourself that question. If I do not help this person, what will happen to them? If just a few of us did that more often, it would make a profound difference to those people's lives and to the lives of others that we encounter. It's a bit like the story of the child who kept throwing back into the sea the starfish, we've heard it many times, that had been washed onto the shore. There were hundreds and thousands of them on the edge of the shore and they'd been washed up at the end of the tide. When a wise adult pointed out them, this, to, this to them, what was the point of doing it, he said. The child's response was, well, it made a difference to this one. If we make a difference, a small difference, then it's a good start. But you know, making a difference is really important. Stepping up and helping others where needed is important. And let's go back to that child's response. There is nothing wrong with just being kind. Amen.